0: Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you for listening. Thank you for s- subscribing. I first want to apologize. I-, I know it's been a minute since I posted, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for not leaving. Uh, today we're going to do something a little different. As you guys know, this podcast is built on current events, relationship, business. Uh, Just sports, uh, just a multitude of different talking points. Uh, Today I want to play Candace Owens' interview on a podcast called The Roommates. Uh, If you haven't heard of them, check them out. Great content, uh, great guests, great speakers.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: No problem, Candace. Thank you for being here. I've been trying to get you on here for at least two years. <laughs> I know, I know. It's been a crazy two years, so yeah. I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. No problem, no problem. So, Candace, I know who you are. For those who do not know who you are, can you give us a bit of an elevator pitch synopsis about who you are and all that good stuff?
1: Uh, it depends on uh, what you're reading about me, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know who I am, uh, but there's definitely been a lot of media caricatures of me. I think people think of me as this uh, super outspoken conservative black woman, which apparently is not allowed. You're not allowed to be conservative out loud uh, if you're a minority. Um, But, you know, I'm just a person that fights for real freedom. And just like you said, I I believe that the only true diversity exists in the diversity of ideas. And, you know, my right to exist um, as a black person, I'm not truly free um, unless I have the ability to believe what I want to believe. And I have found that in just coming out and saying I'm a conservative, um, it sort of created this firestorm of people that want me to just capitulate. Uh, to leftist principles and they don 't serve me i don 't believe they serve the black community, and so i 'm a proud, outspoken black conservative, but that is just you know ten percent of who I am you know i 'm also um, a wife. Uh, uh, which is probably my favorite role that I get to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I do a lot of charity work uh, in, in various communities. I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, uh, so I'm a lot of things, but I think probably for the sake of this podcast, I'm political Candace.
0: <laughs> <laughs> political Candace, political Candace. So here's what I want to do, Candace. I feel like people are expecting us to, to debate what I consider very tertiary issues, right? People are expecting us to debate George Floyd's morality. Right. They're expecting us to debate mail-in voting. They're, dispe- they're expecting us to debate, you know, racism in the modern 21st century. And so, from in my personal opinion, I believe those are secondary issues. And so, I don't want to focus too much on these secondary issues. I want to, f- I want to get to the meat of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And as well as what I really dislike is I dislike political strawmans, Right? Mm-hmm. I hate when the media does that. Hate when the media paints everybody on the right as some, um, you know. Alt right extremists. Gun
1: totin'. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Like, and I hate yeah. that. But I also hate when they paint everybody and the left as the Antifa, you know, radical, anarchists. throwing bombs, yes. and looting. Yeah. So I think you and I are very similar where we believe that most people are reasonable people in the middle. Some lean a little bit to the left, some people lean a little bit to the right, but most people are reasonable people who simply want a better future for America and their families. Mm. And so I just want to make sure that I feel like you're on the same page in regards to that as we move forward in this conversation.
1: Yeah, I think more people exist somewhere in the middle and either fall a little further to the left or to the right. Um, But I will say that I think what does differentiate the right from the left is that we're willing to call out our people when they do something wrong. So if there's a far-right extremist who is an actual racist, you would be hard-pressed to find any conservative who would defend that. Uh, But I I find often with the left that when you get Antifa and they're riding or looting, it's peaceful protesting. So I think... I find it to be a bit disingenuous when people can't just call out things that are wrong and they feel this need to constantly defend because it's like, oh, well... We're in the same voting block, and I think, especially in this political climate, a lot of times the left people that are just perhaps liberal need to do a better job of saying we're not that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Here's where I believe I'm a moderate. I believe in freedom. I believe you have a right to exist. I don't like your ideas, um, but I also very much disagree with burning and looting down, you know, the homes of bu- the homes and the private property of business owners. So I think there does need to be a little bit more of that on. Yeah. The left. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll
0: get we'll get into that. So. First question I think that people want to know, Candice, are you a Republican?
1: I'm a registered Republican. Um, for the first time, I registered after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, I felt that, you know, after what I saw there, it absolutely terrified me to see just a man who's done nothing wrong in his life be able to face one allegation and go through what he went through when there was no proof. Um, It scared me, and actually, it scared me for reasons that were related to the African-American story in this country. Um, You know, the last time white women could say something happened with no proof um, and uh, be able to be given a trial, our ancestors were being lynched. And it was incredible to me that people didn't realize that, to say this hashtag that was trending, believe women. I mean... Believe women? I mean, I could lie right now. You know what I'm saying? I could, everything I just said could have been a lie. Why would you just believe me? Because I'm a woman. I could say that when I walked into this place, you tried to grab my butt. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Would you just believe that? People should just believe that, and your whole show should go away. So I felt that what the what I what I saw the left becoming at that time was it was no longer like i I needed to start firmly say like i believe in conservative principles um i believe that there needs to be you know a a trial (laughs) that you are innocent until proven guilty and that was the first time i I registered as a republican okay but i don't consider myself to be a republican okay i say a trumplican because if john mccain was alive and running i would not be voting for john mccain Mm. if paul ryan ran in 2024 i would not be voting for paul ryan um if now, Killer Mike ran. <laughs> like I love Killer Mike. Yeah. He's a liberal. Uh, you know, he's a good friend of mine, and he's a great person. So uh, it, it depends on. I, I really go for the person, and right now, I like Trump.
0: So, if Killer Mike ran as a Democrat, you feel like you vote for Killer Mike? Yeah. If
1: there was a candidate that was running, like, who I did not think could hold a candle to him, like I would under no circumstances would I ever vote for McCain.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: and that's considered like. Republican establishment. I actually hate the Republican establishment, okay. and Trump was anti-establishment. And I think people get that wrong too. Is that uh, the Trumplicans, as we affectionately are referred to sometimes in the media, are, are people that were brought into the Republican Party because of Trump. Um, and people forget that uh, when Trump ran, he was hated by the Republican Party and he was hated by the Democrat Party. He really was not independent who picked. You know, just to, to decide to run as a Republican. But if Trump had run as a Democrat, I would have voted for Trump. Okay. You know what I'm saying?
0: That makes sense. So one of the things that I think you're known for is. Um, many things, <laughs> and we'll get into them if we have times, but I think one of the things that you're a big proponent of is your Blexit movement, right? right? And one of the things is you you want to create somewhat of a mass exodus from the Democratic establishment for black Americans. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, it's not even the Democratic establishment, because I think, like, going back to what you were saying, that would almost run tertiary. Mm-hmm. Um, Blexit is a 501c3 not-profit, so we don't advocate for political candidates. If you follow the Blexit pages, we're not saying, go vote for Trump. I, Candace Owens, I support Trump. Um, But it's actually about breaking black America from progressive principles altogether. Liberal principles have never served us. Um, And uh, yes, it does tend to be that Democrats stand on those progressive ideas of handouts, welfare, um, you know, the breakdown of family, undoing the nuclear family. That's what we stand opposed to. Um, And we believe that that we need to foster a black community that has fathers back in the home, which is, I believe, the number one issue that is facing black America right now, Um, a culture... Um, That is conducive to learning and I'm not just talking about in the classroom. Yes educationally speaking when we have statistics like 75% of black boys in California can't pass a reading exam We should all be terrified because that's that was this same source of things when we look at the times of slavery when black when slaves weren't allowed to read Um, It becomes very dangerous because it allows for other people um, with more nefarious goals uh, to go out and create your reality for you and that's what I think we're seeing today is people that are not educated properly and they believe what they see on TV. It's okay. propaganda, right? Um, so I, we, we just, we very much believe in education. We very much believe in the nuclear family. Um, and we very much believe that the welfare system, the incentives of the welfare system, uh, just, you know, basically deconstructed what was once a very strong black family unit.
0: Oh, uh, and like, we're going to get into all that good stuff. And one and of the things that I personally believe very similar to you that. Black Americans should have the freedom to vote for whatever policies that they feel re- resonates with their spirit without the questioning of their identity, right? My I don't want somebody to say because you're a black American, whether you vote Democrat, whether you vote Republican, as long as you're voting for a policy that you feel like is going to benefit you, your community, and your family, I personally am not going to judge you. Right. So in regards to the political freedom, I definitely am a, I'm a huge proponent of the freedom political freedom, right, that each individual should have the political freedom to be able to join whatever party they want or remain independent or, you know, choose how they want to interact with the uh, overall government. So I think you and I are very, very similar there. But I think one of the things for me in regards to some of the progressive and liberal ideas is that I think, unfortunately, this is just my guesstimation, I think the media, unfortunately, projects a lot of unhealthy ideals about progressivism and liberalism. Mm. Like I said, these political strawmans, right? Like, all the worst ideas. Like you said, Killer Mike is a great guy on the left who's, in, who's intellectual, who's intelligent, who's competent, who's capable. I know you said you respect a lot of Charlemagne's ideas. He's not an individual on the left. I've noticed a lot of individuals on the left who are very intelligent, who do have progressive values, per se, but like I said, the media does not put emphasis on those individuals. That's why, like I said, I'm all for black Americans freely going politically to whatever they feel like benefits them the most.
1: Right, and, and I think for me, it's whatever party is going to look at me as a person and not assign a bunch of stereotypes to me because of the color of my skin. And what I mean by that is just recently, you know, Joe Biden was interviewed by Cardi B. I mean, if if that's not a mockery to black America, I don't know what is. Why do you feel like that's
0: a mockery? Because
1: why would Cardi B, who is borderline illiterate, okay, who knows absolutely nothing about politics, who actually during the interview was going, oh, you know what I mean? Like, which is funny, culturally, but that does not belong on a political stage when you're talking about somebody that's going to become a leader of the free world, right? We have tons of deeply intellectual black people in America that he could have sat down with. He could have sat down with Condoleezza Rice. Could have sat down with Thomas, so he could have sat down with Clarence Thomas, right? He could have sat down with Charlemagne the God, who who he did and, and who gave him a much harder time, and it didn't end well for him because yeah. Charlemagne was asking serious questions. Yeah. But he chose to go and sit down with the minimal time he's even spent publicly, right? Because he's been hiding in his basement vir- virtually this mm-hmm. entire campaign, right? And he finally comes yeah. out of his basement and he decides to sit down with Cardi B. Yeah. That really should tell you what this candidate thinks about black people, right? He did not want a hard interview. He wanted, and, and this is the perception, what like you're talking about, the idea of what it means to be black, That—that that is what was playing out in the media in that moment. Her saying, oh, good. at the same, same time but she's asking for, um, she was saying she wants her taxes to go down. She's saying she also wants healthcare for all, Okay. That's completely uneducated, right? That means she does not have any concept of economics. She has no idea where any of this money comes from. Like she's saying, she wants a Republican, uh, you know, a, a Republican outcome with, you know, a very Democrat and liberal um, uh, uh, initiative, right?
0: So, Candace, real quick, is it fair to say that? According to free speech, right? We all believe in free speech. Shouldn't Cardi have the freedom that if she says, I want to interview Joe Biden, shouldn't she be free as an American to interview Joe Biden?
1: 100% she should, but that should not have been his first stop. Okay. Okay? So he's got a very limited time until November. Why did he choose to sit down with her? You know he's getting tons of requests from black media, from black people. If that's what, if if the angle was, say, oh, you know, I want to speak directly to the black community, why didn't he sit down with Killer Mike? Killer Mike is, is well read, right? Why did he choose Cardi B? And the answer is simple. But- I enjoy watching her on Love & Hip Hop, you know what I mean? But I understand that the people that I watch on Love & Hip Hop are not necessarily equipped to go and and interview the the leader of the free world, right? I get that she has whatever it is, 50 million followers on Instagram, and that might be a cool clip, but that's pandering, okay? Okay. We have tons of intellectuals that can sit down and ask you meaningful questions, that can ask you about the economics behind your questions. That is what black America needs to hear. We don't need to hear a woman going on and saying, oh, she's right. She's right to I'm not saying, like... She has no right to speak to him ever. I'm saying, why did he choose to go sit down with her?
0: Yeah, no, that's a fair question. If you're simply asking what, what his intent was, I think that's fair to ask individual. What I try to do, like I said, we're getting to tertiary points, I want to move forward a little bit, but what I try to do politically is I try ne- I try my best to never assume intent, right? Mm-hmm. So like, for example, you make it, I hear... Candace Owens did this. Candace Owens said this. I want to sit down with Candace Owens. and I want to have a conversation with him. Obviously, with our political you know, leaders, we're not able to have a one-on-one conversation. So I just personally try not to assume intent on, on individual especially those I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But like I said, moving forward to more primary issues, I'm very curious, in your opinion, What would you say are the biggest issues plaguing black America today, in your personal opinion? Number
1: one is father absence. Yes. Everything, and everything that happens is secondary to that. Like, it all falls apart once you remove fathers from the home. And I talk about that often, you know, and actually, Barack Obama spoke about this. He gave a Father's Day speech, and he started talking about all the statistics of what happens when you remove a father from the home. One simple thing, remove a father from the home and a child is nine times more likely to end up in prison, uh, six times more likely to drop out of school, uh, uh, sorry, 12 times more likely to end up in prison, nine times more likely to drop out of school, six times more likely to lead life of poverty, right? One single element. And there are actually policies that since the 1960s have incentivized that for black America. That's when everything fell apart for black Americans. We were, our families were together, kids were performing better. I mean, it, literally every in every statistic, black Americans were doing better. Think about this, under Jim Crow laws right, than they are doing today. Now, nobody would say America has become a more racist society since Jim Crow laws. If they did, they'd be disingenuous and they'd be lying to you, right? Mm-hmm. So what happened? Well, you, you tore apart our families and you, you turned us into a culture of baby mamas, um, which is now reflected in our music. So when I talk about black culture and I say things that need to be changed, our music has taken a hit. I go back and I listen to the music I grew up on and I grew up in my grandfather's home. The Temptations, Diana Ross, music that was about love, feeling good, men that were dressed in suits. Now we have Cardi B. Cardi B's new song is the number one song right now, right? You don't like what? Listen, listen. Think about what has happened to black culture from my girl... Yeah, I've got sunshine and a cloud a day yeah. to WAP, which we couldn't even. You wouldn't feel comfortable. by told you to read the lyrics right now for your show. Music, Chris did it though, right? Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> I'm not saying that. I don't. She has never right to make the music. Yeah, but I'm saying that when that becomes number one in replace of what was number one, something's happened to black culture.
0: So real quick, Candice, what do you feel like tore down that black family? From your analysis? The welfare system did. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and it was strategic. You know, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, who uh, authored, you know, who, who, who signed the Great Society Act, mm-hmm. um went after and targeted black men. It was a, he he was a avowed racist. He hated black people. used the N-word his entire life wouldn't even refer to his driver who was black as uh, by his name, you know? And he said you just got to get used to it. You're an N-word and, you know, you got to go look up the LBJ transcripts and think about how weird it is that today you speak to the average black american, and they'll say he was the best president for black america, avowed racist. Mm-hmm. And his, you know, his famed quote that he said Once black Americans received civil rights, which he signed off on only because of protesting. He had just gotten into the White House after uh, the assassination of JFK. There were massive protests going on here in D.C. all around. And he signed off on this because he virtually had to. The entire time he was in Senate for 20 plus years, he was opposed. He was part of the strong Southern Bloc who opposed every single advancement for black Americans he voted against. For 20 years, right? Then he becomes president of the United States, you know, on a, on a, on a fluke, essentially. You know, he's vice president, became the president. And uh, he now has to sign off on the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Yeah. And immediately following it, he gives a speech at Howard University. And he says, it's not enough for us to just give you your rights. We have to do more. And he then puts in place the Great Society Act. Yeah. And the Great Society Act was an initiative that said to black women, and literally they would knock on your door, And they would say, the government will give you money as long as the man does not live in this household, right? Mm -hmm. So we watched from the 1960s, the single motherhood rate being 23% Mm -hmm. to the single motherhood rate being 77% today in the black community, okay? What does that mean? You want to talk about why the black community, forget, you know, education not being at the forefront, the ignorance that we see, the culture that we see, the disrespect, we are a disrespectful culture. The fact that you have to caution, and I'm glad that you said it, you know, I believe we should respect black women. We should respect. Yeah, the fact that you have to say that is sad, right? My grandfather's time, that was a no-brainer. I mean, you th- my grandfather could hate you with everything in him. He is not going to disrespect a woman, right? It was a different time. But we've now taken all that away and we've we've reduced our culture to something other and that other is something that i fight against every single turn. every single turn right this is the only way you can be black is if you assign to all this Mm -hmm. oh you don't know how to be black unless you listen to all this stuff i don't want to listen my children are not going to listen to Cardi B's WAP. I'll tell you that much, right? <laughs> yeah. They might listen to Beethoven, right? They're going to be listening to, to music that, that is going to affect... They're going to listen to Jesus' music. I think Kanye West doing Jesus is King is he understands that there has been a corrosion in the in the black community. And we're all playing a part of it because we don't have the courage to say, this is not who we've been. This is what government and and government policies have turned us into.
0: Yeah. So I personally believe that the the 60s did you watch the show Mad Men
1: I didn't watch it but I know what it's about okay
0: so Mad Men I love this show because it's basically a story of an ad company mm-hmm. from the 50s and 60s and I love this show because it shows a cultural revolution that happened in America in the 60s mm. and you really walk through and see how the world changed in the 60s I would love to have a show like that for black America mm. to show people tend like Really, what went on in the 60s? Because like you said, I think most people go to the 60s, right, as this era where black progress was going on its upward. It was. And then all of a sudden, 70s, 80s, we see a downward spiral in a lot of different areas. I, while welfare is a variable, cause I believe it was a variable equation which caused these issues, mm-hmm. while welfare is a variable I think there's uh, uh, other variables that we're not talking about as well that contributed to the breakdown of the black families. Right? Fear. And so one of the things, fear is definitely one. One of the things is, so you you many people quote the 25% of black women in the 1960s who were single mothers, right? And they said that the number went from 23, 25, whatever number you believe, mm-hmm. to about 70 to 75 today. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Mm-hmm. But most people don't realize that twenty three, twenty five percent in the sixties was still extremely high.
1: Well, they thought it. They, no, they thought it. They said it was extremely high because at that time, family was valued all across America. Exactly. It was all about the family. Exactly. You're talking about Patrick Moynihan's report, and they said we we've got a problem here. Exactly. Like, yeah, it was considered high.
0: Exactly. So. Because in the white community, the the, the rate was three percent, right? Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is in the black community, the rate went from twenty five percent to seventy five percent, you know, a three hundred percent increase. And in the white community, went from three percent to today about thirty percent, which is a one thousand percent increase. Yeah, but way
1: less than ours. Yes. Like-
0: but but. Percentage-wise, obviously, when you get to higher tiers, it's, it's difficult to grow faster, right? It's, it's, it's way it's way easier to go from 2% to 4% than from 40% to 80%, right? But at the same time... The, yeah, made, we did it. <laughs> we, we, still, we still went up. Yeah. And so one of the things that's really fascinating is that the single motherhood rate was high in the black community in the 60s. So sometimes I feel as though we're painting, just my personal opinion, a uh, disingenuous... Image of the 1960s as this utopian ideal time in black America, and there was a bunch of issues still going on. Yeah, but way
1: 23% versus 77%, no, it's, way,
0: it's, it's like, yeah, I it's, mean. It's, gotten, it's yeah. gotten worse. I think it's fair right. to say it's gotten worse, but like I was but saying. But way worse. I mean, we're
1: talking about we're, we're talking about it's increased threefold. Of course. Right? I mean, that's not like it just got a little bit worse. This yeah. is like, this, this is now, this went from like an issue that needed to be addressed at 23%, which I do still believe is high, right? Mm-hmm. But t- 23% and 77%. You, you can't even talk about these two things the same right now now because now you're talking about it was a minority and now it's a majority 100%. an overwhelming majority right so it was a small minority mm-hmm. and now it's an overwhelming majority of black
0: people that are growing up without a father in the home yes. so
1: that completely rewrites culture
0: no and i agree with you and like i said i'm i'm, I'm all in favor of the single motherhood rate being an issue what i'm saying is mm. that sometimes i feel as though when people are making just the welfare argument that this is the only that contributed to the rise in single motherhood we're having a very myoptic perspective of what's going on because there's a myriad of factors because what's interesting that you make reference to is that you know you love Thomas Sowell you like one of the guys that you mentioned a lot Mm -hmm. and I I really respect some of his writings and Thomas Sowell has argued that in the night like in 1980s under the Reagan administration Mm -hmm. it's fair to say that welfare got cut right Mm -hmm. it's fair to say that he was one of the Presidents who actually made government smaller mm-hmm. But what you see as welfare Decreased in the 80s You also saw an increase in single motherhood And also um, Family structures were mm-hmm. still corroding mm-hmm. So if the, if the correlation Is simply as welfare Increases, mm-hmm. single motherhood Increases, then the inverse should be true As well, as welfare decreases Then single motherhood decreases
1: Yeah, well him rolling back welfare benefits He didn't take welfare away from the people That had it you get what I'm saying, so that that's not gonna. I don't think that would change, especially in in a short span of years. Like a, you know, for a president can only be president for eight years, right? Welfare policies that were started in the '60s are still exist today, right? So you can have you can have one president that proliferates it, and you can have one president that wants to dial back on it, but they're not going into homes and saying, "Now you're not getting food no, stamps." No, I agree with you, but I right? guess what I'm saying is. And you said 60- They didn't they didn't stop the incentivization of no fathers in home during that time.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, so, you know what I'm saying? So there was still an incentive to be a single mother. There was still an incentive. And and when you're talking about that, you're talking about the diminishing like they they they, they diminished the role of black men. I mean, I, I genuinely believe what the, the what we're going through in terms of just the role of black men is an epidemic.
0: Of course, and so and so, I agree with you 110%, but what I was saying, like, it's a variable equation. So one thing that also happened was globalization, mm-hmm. right? Second great migration occurred in the 1940s, where a lot of these blacks left the South. They went to where? Los Angeles? They went to Chicago? They went to Pittsburgh? They went to New York? They went to these cities for these different jobs, and a lot of black, and black men went for service industry jobs. What happened in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s? The world changed,
1: right? That also happened... Way before earlier in, in the progressive era, and it didn't change when they did that the, the migration has happened more than once or twice. It, you know it also happened during the progressive
0: era. The first great migration, but, then it, but but the world didn't change though.
1: But, but, but that's my point, because welfare didn't exist. So I actually think, I'm not saying it's the only variable. I'm saying it's the biggest variable. Okay. So, so if you can look back and you say this migration has happened, the, the Great Migration first happened, uh, you know, during the Progressive Era, and nothing changed in terms of the family dynamic, that lets you know that they, the family was still
0: intact. Well, right? things did change. In, in the 1920s, during the Great Depression, single motherhood went up and broken marriages went up across all communities in America because what we see is that one of the biggest issues when it comes to marriages, as you and I both know, when you have financial instability in communities, you're going to have higher rates of single motherhood and higher rates of broken marriages. So during that period of time...
1: But slightly. You get what I'm saying. Slightly. I mean, if you're talking about... Of course, if you look at any statistic and you're looking at it over time, you're going to see this, right, during different times. I mean, case in point, during World War II, men were going overseas, they were being killed. Like, you know, there are all these different things that go like this. When you see this... Sharp increase something's happened that, that started this. And this is what's happened after the 1960s, right? Of course. So, yes, there are tons of other small variables that can impact those things. And I agree with you that we could talk about any one of those elements and say this could have contributed, right? But when we're talking about we're staying from, you know, 11% to 18%, right? And then we're going from 23% to 77%. Mm-hmm. What was the big variable? And so the big variable is welfare.
0: Welfare is one of the Marrying b- women to government. But here's another interesting factor. So also you have to take into consideration shotgun marriages, right? So that's something also that happened as well. So basically what happened was a very interesting study. So in the year 1964, when they, did the, when, they, when they analyzed the black family, like you were saying, blacks were married at, who have been married, were married at higher rates mm-hmm. than whites. But still, at the same time, blacks had higher single motherhood rates than whites. So what they realized was that for for a lot of black Americans, there was a cultural attitude where if you got a woman pregnant, right, the idea was you would marry them. Mm-hmm. So I hope yeah. you guys are following that. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, the cultural attitudes changed it did. in the 60s, right? You had second wave feminism. You had a lot of the women becoming more into the workplace. You had a lot of different cultural attitudes mm-hmm. that also contributed to it. So a lot of these women who were once single mothers, right, because single motherhood was steadily raising mm-hmm. during, during this period of time, a lot of these women who were single mothers who traditionally felt the obligation to get married, right, a lot of them, like you said, did, quote-unquote, get married to the government, but a lot of them chose not to get married because of the disinvention of shotgun marriages as well as no-fault divorce.
1: Right. I mean, listen, that, that now we're kind of getting into the space of feminism, and I'm also very opposed to feminism, right? You know what I mean? So, like, you know, I mean, you're exactly right that that is another... That's another uh, corollary, and I agree with you. Mm -hmm. And... What, and in terms of, you hear me speak of us often, trying to turn feminism, trying to make women aspire, you know, turn women into men, turn men into women, uh, you know, saying if this, is, this shouldn't belong to men, women should want this too. I disagree with all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that resetting I, that has also contributed to the breakdown of family dynamics. That's also why I'm against the trans movement. Like, I mean, so don't think that I am only solely saying welfare. I'm saying it's the biggest contributor to the spike. Yeah. And then there are all these other elements, and you are correct that after the 60s, there was sort of this push, uh, you know... Uh, feminism, environmentalism, all these isms sort of started popping up after the 60s and you can talk about how any of them have contributed to the breakdown, but the, sing- the sing- single biggest contributor for the black community has been welfare um, in, in my opinion, and, okay, yeah. and there's tons of other things that factor into it, and they're all things that I fight today, so there's, you're not going to find a category where I'm like, oh, but I'm in support of that, yeah. you know, I, I love I, I hate feminism, I think it's horrible, it needs to be thrown out, um, I'm not a feminist I'm one of the proudest non-feminists that there are, I believe there are that there are roles, natural biological roles for men and natural biological roles for women. There's a reason that God designed it so that I can hold the baby and you can't hold the baby, mm-hmm. right? And it allows you to do certain things that I can't do and it allows me to do things that you can't do. And both of those things should be celebrated as difficult tasks. Mm-hmm. Becoming a CEO of a company It's a very hard task. I agree. Raising three good children I agree. is a very hard task. I agree and there's a yin and there's a yang, and we're, we're now in a society that's trying to foster a disruption of that yin yeah. and that yang. And who's gonna hurt? families it's the breakdown of family, and so yeah, I would almost say that there's almost this 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 rapid um uh, this, this rapid approach to uh, to breaking down the family, and there are all of these things that are contributing yeah. to
0: it now and, and so the reason why I wanted to bring that up is like because I feel as though when you when we understand what was causing this issue, then we can move forward to what were the solutions to the issue mm. so one so it was interesting study that was done that said, okay, what happens is Okay, if welfare is a contributing factor, they were like, "Let's remove. Let's let's create new welfare incentives, saying that you have to get a job after two years on welfare." Love it. And so, what ended up happening was, interesting thing happened. They found out that single motherhood rates increase, and also
1: wait, when did they make that a policy? I don't think that was a policy in America. No, not
0: in not in America. So, do you know how like c- certain individual cities mm-hmm. can do different things in regards to local governments can have flexibility for the welfare policies? Mm-hmm. So. What they, what I forgot the city. I'll, 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 share it with you. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put all these um the citations in this, in the footnotes. So an interesting study that was done, and they showed what happened was that this single motherhood rate actually increased because what they found was that they were, they were pushing people, different individuals to saying that okay, you have to get a job for, you because know, we're not gonna be on welfare forever. So they were seeing that okay, these women who got jobs mm-hmm. post welfare did that in, did that further incentivize them to get married and for them not to be single mothers. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was a lot of these women still didn't get married mm-hmm. because now the cultural attitude had shifted mm-hmm. in the late 80s, 90s yeah. with the feminist movement, with a lot of the women power movement, so they felt like, I don't need a man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you
1: know? so we're not, I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is that the solution is that if you took away welfare, suddenly everyone would start getting married.
0: That's, no. And that's what I wanted to clarify for the audience. Oh, yeah. Cause like I said, my biggest thing when people think about what is the primary cause to the dissolution in the black yeah, family. Cause and solutions are two different things. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, I'll, so my argument is it's a multi varied oh, yeah. equation where yeah. there's so many things that took place the, die, the death of the black leaders, you know, death of yeah. King, death of um, you know, yeah. Malcolm X. A lot of these things affected the black community as well. And so, in regards to solutions, right, that's where I feel as though okay, moving forward, right, we understand this is a problem. We can mm. we can argue how we got here, but we both agree that this is a problem, right? right? So in your personal opinion, what are tangible solutions for the health of the black community? Well,
1: first off, there's no question that welfare should be rolled back. I mean, there's, without question, it should be. Stop incentivizing bad behavior, period. You know what I mean? Like, if it wasn't there, you wouldn't take it. And if you didn't have the government coming in to investigate in your home whether a man lived here, I have family members in my in my. Uh, I have have family members that are on welfare. I've seen the games they play to be able to stay on welfare and to keep taking uh, money from the government, able-bodied individuals that can work. Took that away from them, they'd work. I mean, that's just the truth, you know what I mean? And they wouldn't be so uh, afraid of having a man live in the home that fathered their children. Uh, So even if it's not about getting married, having a the father figure in the home makes a tremendous difference now i agree with you that marriage now is sort of considered uh you know this sort of antiquated establishment um and that's talking about feminism has, has introduced this idea that, that somehow you're giving up your freedom if you get married when in fact i would say that my freedom has increased tenfold since i've gotten married uh when you get to have a partner who you know that you have with you through everything right you actually it gives you freedom um and that is the fault of our culture the media culture has changed, and that goes back to what I was saying to you about these these shows, the the, the shows, the music. It's all about you know strippers, broken down culture, and we're glorifying it. You know, we're not saying this is bad and shaking our head and going this is horrible, which is what the the 1960s black American would have looked at that and said, this is not anything that we want. These are corroded values and we are trying to have traditional values. Um, until we start fixing the culture, it starts with having this conversation, right? Acknowledging something is broken. You have black Americans who cannot admit that something is wrong. Like Candace just needs to be more black. Candace just needs to like, you know, just needs to, needs to start listening to this music. I listened to that music and then I realize that we are programming children to aspire to that, to aspire to wanting, you know, to live a a lifestyle as gangsters, as drug dealers, right? The streets are raising our children. The music is raising our children, right? So there are tons of things that we need to do better, and I think that there are pioneers in different spaces that are trying to defeat it. As I said, Kanye West doing a Jesus is King album... Mm -hmm. I don't think people understand how big that is for somebody who once wrote about, you know, the girls he slept with to now doing an entire album, which was extremely well produced with great music that's about Jesus, because he realized something is going to miss and he's contributed to it. Yeah. Right. So he understands that there, he, he's trying to almost redeem what he thinks he's done. And he wasn't anywhere near. I mean, I loved his music growing up, but still do love his music. His music, you know, was hardly what we see now with WAP, even yeah. even from the 90s. Forget going all the way back to the 60s, the 90s music to today. It's insane yeah. if you look at the top of the charts compared to what was top of the charts then. There is no room for talking about good values. We have women that are half-naked, debasing themselves, doing the splits. And by the way, I'm not just going to call it black culture. It's white culture, too. You know, Ariana Grande, uh, I bend it all night, I bend it all day. That, I mean, it's, this is—we this is, uh, have a cultural problem in, in the West— because it doesn't belong to the East. They don't do this in the East. And that's what's interesting to, to realize. This is this only belongs to the West. We've, we've done this thing where we keep saying we're more free and we're more free. A woman is more free if she's naked and she's doing the splits and opening her legs. It shows you how free and how powerful she is. That is not free. That is not powerful. That is debased, right? And that is a woman that is giving up for up for free, she's actually for sale. You know what I mean? Like she is giving everything up for free, where you don't have to imagine anything. And and we have to, we are teaching young women that that's what they should aspire to. We're teaching young men that instead of being decent and respectful, we have to tell them, hey, don't write horrible things to a woman. Right? I know you're going to watch this podcast. Be respectful that should already that should be ingrained yeah. you know what i mean what is happening that you have to issue that warning for us to have a conversation a respectful dialogue to each other and come to some solutions yeah. right we all have to do better with that we have to raise our children better we have to you know I, i'm i will be a strict parent i already know that oh. you know my granddad was strict with us and he believed in respect and he, he believed in values he believed men hold doors there was position for men men did the yard work men held doors um Men grabbed the jacket for women, and he he raised us to be respectful young ladies mm-hmm. right and 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 you can be powerful and you can be respectful yeah. and you can respect yourself and you can respect your husband and you can understand that there is a role for men. I think men right now
0: manhood is under attack no definitely and one of the and, and so to me, one of the biggest things that i 'm a proponent on is tangible solutions by individuals right mm-hmm. and so my one of my biggest arguments is that I feel as though when we look at a problem right we can either tell we can either tell somebody hey this is your problem you fix it or we as individuals mm. who have compassion, like you, you say you're a Christian, you know, you believe in charity, and you believe James said true religions care for widows and orphans, right? Mm. So we now we say, okay, I care enough to go out of my way to help you, to mm. go out of my way to educate you, to go out of my way to serve you. And that's what we're doing with this podcast. Because a lot of people are like, well, there is no positive black voices. Well, we have it here. Right. No, we've cultivated this environment to be able to provide tangible solutions and help. And one of the big things going back to the initial point. About the black family, that's why we do so much relationship content because we really believe in it. We really believe in creating healthier men to be able to be healthier, better husbands, be able to be better fathers, healthier women to be able to be better wives and better mothers. We believe in doing that with the podcast. So one of the biggest things is that I strongly believe in each individual's personal responsibility. Not only as Jordan Peterson says, look at the mirror and to improve yourself, mm-hmm. but at the same time to be able to now use whatever gifts and resources and tools that God has given you to go out into the greater society.
1: Right. Well, men like you should be mentoring mentoring young boys. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this, what we're talking about right here is... Not just the corrosion of females and allowing men to disrespect and disrespecting ourselves. We don't even need men to disrespect us anymore. Now it's like cool to call ourselves bitches. I'm that bitch. I'm that bitch. Like, I'm not. <laughs> don't count me in that. I'm not. You know what I'm saying? And until we have men like you that are fostering a new culture for young boys, they don't need to agree or love Candace Owens. But when I go on my Instagram and people think I'm insulted by it, you, you think I'm insulted when a grown black man calls me out of my name? Do you think I'm supposed to be like heard about that? I, I, I'm I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that that's happened to our culture. That they think that that's cool. F you, you stupid bitch. You slut. All of this stuff because you don't like my opinion on Black Lives Matter and you think that I'm gonna look at that and be hurt. Look at yourself, man. Like, you're not a man you know what I'm saying? No matter how you feel about a certain woman, you should be respectful as a man. That's the role of men. man. I'm disgusted by it, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm harsher on men than half the time I am on women because I was raised on my grandfather and he was just such a a strong example of what it means to be a man. Even when you're mad, you know what I mean? Even when you're mad, when you, when you really want to say something, I just, I think that we just need to bring, that, bring back um, that old school man, you know, what it means to be a man. Have a conversation, say how you feel. It's fine. You're allowed to do that. Um, but we can't have, we have to, stop disrespecting each other and we are the number one perpetuators of a culture of disrespect black america it's in our music it's we do it to ourselves you know what i mean and then when god forbid someone on the outside says something negative about black america and or, or something true You know what I mean? And we lose our minds. You know? Oh, it's fine when I call myself a bitch, when I call myself a slut, when I call, when I say that I'm doing ho-ho shit, right? But God forbid, somebody comes in and says your culture is broken, then you lose your mind and call them a racist. That is not, I don't identify with that culture. Nobody should want to be a part of that culture.
0: And so, so to me, I think the way i feel is though is that like i'm nigerian american so i kind of come from this a little bit from the outside 100%. i, I want to be i want to be honest we're here but my thing is that the idea of black culture is I hate to use this liberal, neo, neo, neo-Marxist word, but it is a, it's a social construct, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of black culture, what it means to be black. It is. It is a social construct. It is. You as Candace Owen, you're free to believe whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You're free to read whatever books you want to read. You're free to talk in whatever type of English you want to talk to, and it has nothing to do with you being a black individual. That is a—that is your phenotype, right? It is, it is it, a social construct. It, so, so to me, I... I One of the big things that I really strive to do is strive to, on this show, is to be able to show, guess what? Black Americans, as much as we say it, we got to believe it, are not a monolith. Right. There is a diversity of people who believe a diversity of things. And guess what? we're all black. So one of my big things is that I try really hard to like, we all understand you're you're, anti, you're not a big media person. I'm not a big media person. The media propaganda is BS. It's mm-hmm. garbage. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we do what we do on Patreon. Because we're trying to combat it. And so now the beauty is moving forward. We can create a counter narrative, right? We can, we can create more healthier dialogues and more healthier conversations to be, be able to create better men, better women and improve black America. Right.
1: And, and- and, and, and just to get into that point about saying that black culture is a social construct, it's a social construct. It has been constructed, right, socially for us, but we are the biggest perpetrators of it. So, And this is why I never understand. The same people that would be upset because Joe Biden said, you ain't black, Charlemagne the God, right, are the same people that will tell me, I can't be black because I support Trump. You can't have it both ways, right? You either acknowledge that he shouldn't have said it, which is what I believe, he shouldn't have said that to him, Right. And, and you also acknowledge that Candace Owens has different opinion than you. And you
0: can't say you, that you
1: can't, yeah, yeah, you can't yes. say, that, you can't say you, you're not black because you, you have different opinion than me. Yeah. Right? So Joe Biden is repeating what, you've, what you have made real. Yes. You know what I mean? He is saying that he's acknowledging in our culture it is permissible to strip somebody of their blackness, right, if they don't, you know, uh, subscribe to, to democratic principles. That you can automatically say, oh, black card revoked all of these, you know, socially constructed ideas. Can we
0: we not say democratic principles? But,
1: okay, well, but when I say democratic, like, yeah, what I'm saying is that if, if you are a black American and you're not a Democrat in America, right, you are told you're not black. That is why Joe Biden said that. That is the truth. It, there's never been. And let people say, oh, it's because you support Trump. No, nope. oh, I
0: thought you meant the, the stereotypes. No, no. Okay, like, you just, yeah, you if, you, if you're not a Democrat. political affiliation. Yeah, okay, this is the first yeah, time yeah, that
1: yeah, they'll yeah. they'll say to you, Yeah. as soon as I said I wasn't Democrat, that's all it took. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't care about my history. They didn't care about what I've been through, my ideas. It was, you're not a you're not Democrat. You're not black. And then they said, oh, it's because you support Trump. That's BS, yeah. because before Trump, there was Condoleezza Rice, and you told her she wasn't black, yeah. right? There was Clarence Thomas, and you told him he wasn't black. Yeah. You know, there was, there was uh, running against Trump yeah. was Dr. Ben Carson, you told him he wasn't black. Yeah. So the truth is that you think that being a Democrat is necessary to being a black American, and right? I, and that's wrong.
0: And I think not only that, I think what happens is I personally believe you, Candace Owens— Your goal is to help black America. Is that fair to say? That is 100% the goal. And that is what you really care about, right? So you say my intentions in my heart is to create tangible solutions to help black America. I genuinely believe that you care. Anybody questions that, I believe they're wrong. But the but what the difference is that we all have different ways of going about it, right? right? Candace may say, you know what, my way is I don't like big governments, right? I want to be able to have my resources. I want to be able to have private sector. I want to be able to do what I want without the government controlling me to help my communities, right? And that's what Candace believes. And then a person like a Killer Mike can believe, you know what? I believe the government should assist us to help Black America, and we're gonna hold the government accountable. We're gonna give like the ten points of the Black Agenda. We're gonna- to do things along the democratic party to be able to provide solutions for black america and me personally i'm like if your intentions is to help we can argue whether candace's way is better or whether killer mike's way is better but guess what both individuals are trying to help black america and i feel like that's where people get lost they don't acknowledge that individuals like you are genuinely interested in helping black america you can disagree with her politics mm-hmm. but don't Attack the person I I hate stuff like that Right
1: And then that's the difference Between What you're talking about Is really just authenticity Mm -hmm. Right And that's just the reason Why Killer Mike and I Couldn't be more opposed In terms of who we support For office He supported Bernie I supported Trump we genuinely get along, like I genuinely, we have an affection for each other, we respect each other, you know, I, I think he is a great example, you know, he absolutely loves his wife, like, you know, for what it means to be a black man, he's respectful. Like, you know, defending me when T.I. was attacking me, and and, and T.I. is, in my opinion, the example of the exact opposite of what we need. This is a man who spoke to me multiple times on the phone before we got on stage together, was a whole different person, you know, sweet as can be, but then to create a moment, one disrespect me on stage, right? Killer Mike, on the other hand, didn't know me from a hole in the wall. I met him at that event and on stage was bothered by the disrespect that was being thrown my way. This, so we agree, he and I agree, that we need to foster a culture of respect. That, that's the starting point, right? Do we agree we need to be fostering a culture of respect or that we need to be incentivizing people to be disrespectful? If you're a black American and you get behind, you know, looting and rioting, even if you believe in, and I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe about the George Floyd thing, right? You could say he was an angel. You could believe he was a devil. Do you believe looting and rioting is the correct response? If your answer is yes to that, right, you and I are on two different pages. Because no matter what happens, that is not an appropriate you you do not tear down and burn down people that have nothing to do with that, their businesses, right? And that's respect, the difference between respect and no respect, right? And especially because Black State, one of the things that we did was we raised a hundred thousand dollars for black owned businesses that got burned down in the riots, right? Because these people are black and you took down their private businesses. Some of them didn't even have insurance, right? And so Killer Mike and I agree on that, right? He gets on, he was like, we don't need to be right. We don't need, we need to like start saying we need we, we just need to start demanding solutions. Now, even though our perceptions of George Floyd, what happened may have been different, we both agreed on the fact that there need to be productive solutions. And that's that middle ground that 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 we're losing mm-hmm. now because people have to be so tribal and can't can no longer just say, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't get behind this. Even though I believe this, I will not support this.
0: So that's good. So first one... was that you said the number one issue is single parent households, mm-hmm. right? And and so we, we've addressed that, we've talked about that. What's after single parent households?
1: Well, so everything when I say falls under why I say that's primary. because so like I said to you, when you're talking about men getting locked up, so what happens when you move off from home? Well, kids still naturally pursue paternity elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So they're still looking for a mom and dad to raise them. Now mom's working late, right? You're you know, you're raising your cousins, brothers and sisters in your home, and you're still pursuing that paternity, that guidance. So where do those kids go? They naturally go to the street right they naturally go to rap music suddenly they're 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 not aspiring to be like their father they're aspiring to to be like their favorite rapper right whoever that is they they fall for drugs so you see all these things in the black community to me that the conduit is not having a stable family because when you have a stable family and you have a strict parent like especially i always say this but the most ironic ironically the most successful um immigrant group in this country black american immigrant group is nigerian americans right Go into a Nigerian American home, right? Families you look at their families are intact and they're strict. Very, very strict. You could probably know this better than I do, they're strict. They don't play around with that stuff, right? Yeah. The difference between that and having a kid who doesn't have a father in their home, who's now listening to rap music, listening to Ka- Cardi B's WAP, he's gonna get a woman pregnant. He's gonna perpetuate exactly what his life has been. You be, you, you, and by
0: rap, you mean unhealthy rap. Unhealthy I'm rap. About, okay, no, no, no. Cool.
1: I loved Kanye Jay Z okay. growing up, because Jay Z, you know, he wasn't, he, he would sometimes, you know, dabble yeah, into yeah. that, but he was, for the most part, talking like a businessman. That's yeah, why yeah. I loved it. I, I thought it was smart rap, talking yeah. like a businessman. Kanye West, you know, they're talking about ideas that are bigger than themselves, yeah. right? Yes. Jay-Z would talk about where he had come from and that he used to sell drugs Mm -hmm. but written it actually a lot and just ironic because I don't like him anymore because I think he's become a political pawn but a lot of my character was formed by Jay Z's music because yeah. he was talking about how he wasn't going to be used yeah. as a business person. You know, like the the entire Black album was really him talking about his his business, him him as a business and realizing where he was at in his life. So there's tons of good rap music. I'm talking about today's most yeah. today's rap music.
0: So so like you said, we since we know the primary issue, and I agree with you 100, percent is the lack of male. That's why we, with roommates, that's the, our big thing: creating high value male, creating healthier men to be better fathers, better husbands, better leaders, better people yeah. in the community. So. After the single motherhood one, education. I knew that's where I'm sorry. I knew where we're gonna go. We're going education, and this is where. So I been in education when I first graduated college. I worked at a private school. Uh, Providence Christian Academy, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in Lilburn, Georgia. I worked at a public school, Dunbar Middle School, Arlington Heights, um, High School in Fort Worth, Texas, at a charter school, Yes Prep Public Schools in Houston, Texas. So I've I worked in all three different school systems, mm. and the education one is the trickiest one. Mm, it's hard. I, I agree with you because we all know the number one way of upward mobility in America is through education. One hundred percent. And and when, and when when I was sitting down with Ben Shapiro, this is one of the parts where I feel like it's a snafu because. A lot of kids are stuck in really bad schools. Yeah. There's like like they're stuck. There's there's there is seven six year old, mm-hmm. eight year old kids who can't take personal responsibility, guys. I'm sorry. Right. Who are stuck in really bad schools and we all know that once you fall behind at a very young age, it is extremely difficult right. to be able to catch up. So what are what are some of the tangible solutions for Charter these- schools and the and, and, and left is against charter schools. You literally
1: are already and people don't even understand this in black homes. What you are saying is that we will take your tax dollars that you're already paying, it's not nothing that you're not, it's no extra money, create school vouchers and you will be able to shop to go to schools just like wealthy people do and say I want my kids to go to this school or that school to be able to actually be a part of the process and say this is not a good school. I don't want to be assigned to this school because I live in a bad neighborhood. I want to be able to shop around and see what school I want to go to. That is the solution. And yet... It's been politicized, and you have the left, which is staunchly against charter schools, and they've been lying about the narrative, saying it's going to only help white kids. I mean, they say the craziest things because they know people are ignorant, don't understand that charter schools is a solution. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you know at Blexit, we're now doing a you know a Blexit Head Start program that we're getting in place for next year to just take kids after school and teach them to read and hopefully and end do a summer school program and hopefully help look at these single motherhoods and, and and these and these families and say. I have something for your kid to do. He doesn't need to go on the streets. Your kid can't read. We're going to spend time and teach him to learn how to read. That's something that. I can do as an individual with Blexit. But right. I'm not the government, right? Yeah. I'm not, I don't have access to every public school in America. And that's when you have to start looking at politicians, right? And this is why I, I, I am, you know, behind the Trump campaign and, and Betsy DeVoe, again, looking at the person and their policies, mm-hmm. right? This is like, because that is a solution, a tangible solution right there. Yeah. Is saying that they are trying to proliferate charter schools and they are being met with roadblocks because the left doesn't want it why doesn't the left want it i can't i can't wrap my head around why you wouldn't want to help these kids learn
0: yeah and so to be fair like i said i just don't don't like political straw man people get too emotional on it I, like I said, when I was working at charter schools, a lot of people were liberal Democrats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're, she's not saying that there's no liberal Democratic who people support it. who support charter right. school. You're just talking about, like, you know, some of these legal the, the
1: actual roadblocks that are being, like, you know, when these things get voted down, like, it, it is it is coming from the left and they have seized an argument. I mean, you can look at the candidates. They don't support charter schools. Yeah. Why, why don't Democrat candidates support charter schools? That's for you, Democrats who are watching this and saying, I support them. So, why don't, you know, maybe ask your candidate that question. That'd be a really good question to ask them. If you believe that the education system is important, like, why don't you support this? That's a That, to me, if those candidates don't support school choice, yeah, so no-no for me.
0: So, here's, here's my perplex. Like I said, I've worked in all three different school systems. I'm all for charter schools. I love the Harlem Children's Zone. Are you familiar with the Harlem Children's Zone? No. I'm, there's a book, Whatever It Takes, by Jeffrey Ketta. You will love this book about the Harlem Children's Zone. He has a, a, one of the top charter schools in the country, especially for um, black students. My problem with the charter school system is how unsustainable it is. What do you mean by that? So we all know that in order to create a school, you have to fund the school, Mm -hmm. right? So the Harlem Children's Zone, which is, I'll use the one that I worked at. I worked at Yes Prep Public Schools in Houston, Texas. So every year we had to do fundraisers to fund the school, like, because we don't we don't get federal money, right? But you should be able to get federal money. That's the point. Okay.
1: You should be that. That's the whole point. Like, if it's done if it's done the correct way, those the federal money that is allocated to public schools should be redirected to charter schools. But they create all of these roadblocks to make sure it doesn't happen.
0: So, so that's fair. So, that's fair to say that the federal government should fund the charter schools. One hundred percent. But what I'm saying is, it's not sustainable because at yes, prep public schools we had a twenty five thousand kid waiting list. Mm-hmm. Twenty. Because not enough of them. Exactly. That's it. So the problem is there's not enough good quality charter schools right. for all, because what's really interesting is, and, and I hate to go on this little tangent, but I think what you and I can both agree with, a lot of issues in America is not just black and white. No, I it's think not. the media makes it black and white to kind of divide us, right. but when we know what's going on in poor white neighborhoods and mm-hmm. Appalachians, poor Native American neighborhoods, poor Hispanic neighborhoods, poor black neighborhoods, the education crisis is apparent in all four right. of these communities. But
1: there would be more charter schools if, and this is why I say it has been politicized, it shouldn't be politicized. So case in point, like, we know our one of our friends started a prep school, a Chattanooga Prep in Tennessee. Mm-hmm what he had to go through to get it started yeah. they create roadblocks because they don't want charter schools right so you're right there's not enough charter schools right now yeah. but if you lo- removed all of these roadblocks right and you, and you didn't have politicians that did not want to see this happen yeah. we could have them all over the country so
0: i agree with you about because rem- you know obviously like we used to go to these marches and we we constantly fighting for behalf of charter schools I understand some of the roadblocks, because when you're creating a school, we need to have serious regulation, right? We don't want any Joe Blow creating a school. We but want that any- seems
1: to be the case when it's public. That's why the schools are so bad.
0: Yes, but in, <laughs> but in regards to the public education, there's at least a governing board in regards to this, the local districts that can govern your school, right? Mm-hmm. A charter school is privately governed mm-hmm. in, in its, fu- in its uh, you know... Structure And so I understand, I, I don't agree with all the unnecessary robots, but I, under, I understand it. So I guess one of my issues is that.
1: But don't we rely on parents to know that? Say it again? Don't we rely on parents to know that? To So, know what? It's, it's, so you say like, you know, when you open a school, we do need some sort of robot because, you know, we need to have a governing bar- party because it's private. But I actually don't know if I agree with that. And I'm thinking okay. through this right now okay. live, Let's but go. like, don't, shouldn't that be your parents' decision? Because you go to private school, you private school shop. Right? So if you're going to charter school, it's the same thing. You're shopping. Mm-hmm. So any other any private business, do we really need the gov the government? If you want to open, uh, open a store, yeah. aren't I smart enough as an individual to say, you know what, I don't want to buy this product because this product sucks? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, and it should be the same for school. So if you're going to open a school, say I want to start a school, yeah. and I'm like, Blex is going to be a school, right? Why does the government really need to like make sure? Uh, are, the, are we saying the parents aren't smart enough to walk around the school and say, this looks a little funky. You're saying my 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 student is coming home with homework yeah. and he's repeating satanic verses. My That's kids, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think that we that we've almost relied. And this goes kind of goes back to me being a small government person. We keep. Wanting the government to do what the parents are capable of, okay. the parents are capable of telling you whether it's good school. go. Oh, actually, the government has screwed up school. That's yeah. why we have this, you know, this huge issue of illiteracy rate. So the government has not been doing a good job. So we don't need the government to then say now monitor people that are trying to come in and do a good job. We yeah. need less government in this space.
0: Yes, I think the the challenge to me is that how do we create. Equal schools in mass across the country. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge. So one of the big issues is that you and I both know, a 4.0 at Harvard University is not a 4.0 at University of Phoenix. Right. Not a 4.0 at Divide University. Mm-hmm. So if you're an individual and you're going to a really good quality school, your, your GPA weighs better, you're more equally equipped, all these good things are going to be more in your favor. Mm-hmm. The challenge is going to be that when we're where we're saying we have all these millions of Americans and all these millions of children and we all want to give them high-quality schools, who's going to be the individual to to make sure that all the different schools are going to be high-quality up to standards so that every kid has equal and, and equal access to a high-quality school? And what I'm
1: saying is we don't have that now. Under the I, public know, I agree schools. with you. Know you know what I mean? I so so it would be a better because we know that kids fare better in private schools. We know that they they do better. So you wanna... There are higher rates of graduation. they are high, you know, yeah. they do better in college. So we know that the private system works better as it is now because that's just how the world works. I mean, the whole idea in is mass, that government. In can Yeah, but even if you did it in mass, it would be better because you, I mean, to be able to start a private school, you can't be some dummy. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like you can't. It, it, it takes a lot I to agree. be able so, to so start. How
0: many can we start? That's I mean, what I'm saying. As soon as we
1: remove the roadblocks, I'm hoping tons. I'm, I mean, we are. I, I am not the number one person that should be equipped to talk to you about charter schools. Um, I I agree with you that we, we, we have this giant space where we need private schools, um, I don't know how we perpetuate it more quickly. Yeah. You know, as a discussion I would love to have Betsy DeVoe mm-hmm. uh, on my podcast and talk about that because yeah. I really would like to understand why can't we get more? I know that we have all of these roadblocks that are, be, are being created by politicians and that's why I think that the last thing I would say is that we need to have regulations to start tr- charge schools because the same people that are failing our kids are now telling us that they're going to yeah, uh, try. You know, create a solution and parents are smart enough to, to say, it's like when you decide if your kid's going to play football or gymnastics, you know, you don't need the government to regulate that. You're smart enough to say this works for my kid or this doesn't. And to be able to shop is important. And I, I want kids, parents to be able to parent again. You know no, what I, I mean? Like,
0: And the only reason I said regulation was because there's a lot of charter schools that were that were created that got shut down. Mm-hmm. A lot of charter schools that created that did a lot of bad things for the students because they were not ill-prepared yep. to open the school. You're more educated on that than I am. I'm, you know, so for me, the only re- – I, like I said – Whoever it has to be, I just want to make sure if if Jack and Jill are building a charter school, I want I don't want to have the same mistakes that does in public school. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that it's safe for the students. I want to make sure that it's. A- well-equipped principals, assistant principals, teachers, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that the mistakes that's going on today is not perpetuated in these charter schools, like some unfortunately have done in the past.
1: Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. But the same, same with public schools, right? Yeah,
0: of course. And and that's
1: it's a big problem. I mean, we could sit here all day. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a problem that's bigger than us, and that I feel equally as impassioned about as you do. That yeah. there's there are things that need to be done, and we we need. We know we, we need a solution. Yeah, our, our kids are being failed. Yeah. They can't read. I mean, that was not a thing when I was. Everybody could read. Yeah. you know they can't. They can't read now. Yeah. So it's getting worse over time. And there's no reason for that. There's no reason other than we you know we're replacing hard academics with soft academics is a big reason. You know, you want kids to feel good and not know anything, which Thomas Sowell wrote, wrote a great book about that. Um, you know, inside the American education system, you know, the lies, the dogma, the deception is the subtitle, and he talks about that extensively okay. about how. Now, you used to have hard academics where American schools used to be really great. Science, the maths. Now it's like, you know, first day of school. Here's a safe space. You can pick your gender. We want you to have a feelings class. We want you to learn about your privilege. I don't want my kids to learn about that. <laughs> I want my kid to be able to do math. Like when I see those little five-year-old Chinese kids on YouTube and they're like hitting the calculator. <laughs> and I'm like, I want my kids to be able to do that. Yeah. I don't want, let, let me parent him on all of the emotional aspects. Let me, let me be the parent and you truly just be the teacher.
0: That's awesome. So... In closing, Candace, I have a scenario for you. What year will be 2020? All right, it's the year 2040, and after, tw- uh, what is that, 24 years in